Hi, everybody. I'm Robert Wagner. Hi, I'm Darren Kinland. Hi, Chris Wilder. Three of us will be giving this week's episode of The Threat Show for the week ending uh, October 21st, 2020, where we bring you the threats that are coming up uh, in the news that you may not be aware of, so you can get a little bit ahead of what's going on out in the world. So we've got uh, quite a bit of spooky threats for this week, um, sticking with our Halloween theme. And um, uh, uh, no joke, some of these are pretty serious. So why don't we go ahead and jump into it? Darian, what's going on with Zoom? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, so a security researcher found that there was a particular vulnerability introduced into recent versions of Zoom that actually turned on some sort of debugging capability on the Zoom client, which doesn't sound that bad at first glance, but turns out um, attackers can abuse this to achieve remote code execution. <laughs> so obviously, you know, Zoom's been great about releasing patches to their their clients pretty quickly. It's just a matter of most people are kind of annoyed and defer Zoom patches quite a bit, especially if they use Zoom for day-to-day business operations. This is one of those times where you probably don't want to defer it. Right. Um, and uh, uh, you're right. They do do a, actually a really great job with making sure that they find and patch these things as fast as possible. But with the widespread of this product and its popularity, Force the patch if you can, uh, depending on how you manage your user systems. Users, just patch. Go ahead and accept that patch. If you have a Zoom meeting coming up, go ahead and get into Zoom now so that it forces the patch. And then you can uh, worry uh, about anything else later on instead of right as you're starting your Zoom call. One of the things that uh, uh, specifically with the work that I do with the uh, Department of Defense, it just there's so much negative connotation right now around zoom and security flaws and you know that uh, how they're how they respond to it where they're doing an excellent job but defense we actually um made a made a point where we're actually not using zoom anymore for any 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 kind of classified conversations that we have we we moved everything over to webex just because wow. of things like this we changed out productivity productivity for uh for security gotcha but, uh, you know, but that's that's just something you know to keep in mind that uh, you know just thank goodness this thing didn't happen during COVID. Jeepers, creepy. sure, right? Yeah. <laughs> Although they, really? they had they had their own problems during yeah. COVID as well. Um, they sure maybe do, not yeah. severe. Um, and you know, for for most of our customers out there, you're you're probably not the military. You're not working in a skiff. You're not yeah. working with top secret. Patching should be good enough for for you all. But yes, if you have mission critical. Uh, top secret data, this is a consideration to make. Certainly is. Absolutely. Next on our list is a uh, vulnerability that some are calling the next blank for shell, right? (laughs) Text for shell, act for shell. Uh, But others, uh, other researchers disagree. Regardless, it's a vulnerability within the Apache Commons texts library, which you, you might be scratching your head. What is this thing? Do we use it? Chances are it might not be a direct app that you use, but it could be an indirect library that other apps that you that you rely on use. Right. Uh, again, this vulnerability is pretty serious. It does uh, allow the attacker to achieve re- remote code execution, but they're saying it's not as prominent as log4j, thankfully. Mm. 
Uh, and there, I believe there, there already, there already is a fix out there. It's just a matter of getting the fix and the patch applied to the right locations quickly. Now, not as prominent, but just like we've seen with other families of vulnerabilities, um, you, you've noticed in the past that when, when someone finds something, all of a sudden there's like a whole slew around that particular technology that'll often come out again. Yeah. Yeah. So like, could we break out the crystal ball and say, is this the beginning of more you know, <laughs> placeholder for shell vulnerabilities or on this path? Uh, it remains to be seen. I don't know. Um, and, and Chris, SBOM is probably one of your better defenses here when once you get past patching to simply know whether or not you have these libraries in general, right? 100%. Yes. I, and that was one of the big challenges that... Um, that we, we we saw with the COVID for Java. I don't mean to keep going on the COVID theme, but the COVID for Java, which is, you know, the log4j, one of the big takeaways we had was it's really sparked a whole new demand for SBOM, but also right. inventory systems and, you know, bone scanning and like with Rapid7 and those things. And that's that's who picked up this, picked up the CVE. Um, so it's, you know, inventory and then SBOM, I think is another, is, is probably going to be the most logical next step for, for I think, pretty much every enterprise. Sure. And and the one of the hardest things for everybody, for those of you not familiar with SBOM, by the way, it's an acronym, S-B-O-M. It stands for the, your software bill of materials. It's literally an inventory for your software to know what you actually have in and are using in production. So there are some free open source tools to help you get started with that. If you're a large enterprise, get something now, maybe one of those free open source tools, you may have to go to something um, commercial over time. Yeah, we, we've seen a resilient do a company called Resilient do a really good job around SBOM. And uh, they spend, and they really do work well. They speak DevOps very, very well. Awesome. Um, but but in terms of kind of a starting point for guidance, um, just we we just tell our enterprise clients to go back and look at President Biden's executive order, um, which is effectively saying that you have to do inventory and you have to do SBOM. Amongst okay. other things, but <laughs> right? <good> guidance. <laughs> so it's great guidance um, and and stuff you should be paying attention to, uh, especially with things like this coming down the pipe. Yep. So what's next, Darian? Yeah, next on our list is a unique vulnerability discovered within Microsoft Windows Common Log File System Driver layer, which it's like, okay, is this a core component? It turns out it is. It's thankfully it's not Rakota remote code execution, but it's privilege escalation. So basically what that means yeah. is if an attacker already has uh, like user level access to a Windows server or Windows endpoint, they can use this vulnerability to achieve root level access pretty quickly. And what that means is a simple phishing attack uh, into one of your user systems and then this privilege escalation. And now the attacker is at a very high level account uh, that can do a lot of damage and you probably won't detect it because it's legit creds. Thankfully there's, I believe a fix available for this issue. It's just a matter of getting it deployed faster than your typical patch Tuesday, you know, triage. Most organizations, once patch Tuesday comes out, they let the patch percolate on test dev systems for a while before deploying it to production, which ultimately makes sense. But in this case, they might want to accelerate that process just because of the severity of this issue. The, the other thing you've got working for you here is, again, just awareness amongst your user base. Tell them about stuff like this coming down. Tell them how they're likely to be subjected to it, which, again, is typically going to be phishing. 
Yeah, it, it's it starts with hygiene. Um, user hygiene is so important. This just um, this just amplifies the need for you know for security training, and we're actually kind of seeing some of this uh, coming into the range training uh, programs that as they're going off and they're doing the simulated attacks and they're doing you know the twenty four seven attacks and the breaches on this. This is one of the areas where we're um, spear phishing is obviously where 86 percent of all attacks start. So. Just, if you don't, you know, by the way, if you don't have budget for training, uh, yeah. Amazon has uh, graciously put their security awareness training that they use for their own uh, employees up mm -hmm. on uh, on Amazon. Anybody can use it for free. Uh, it's a really great way to get some free training for your users if you don't have any budget for it. Right. So uh, next on our list is actually a vulnerability we mentioned, uh, I think, either last week That's or the great. week before. Yeah. Right. It's the, the Zimbra vulnerability that also is uh, remote code execution. Uh, turns out it's uh, now been picked up by a number of different threat groups and is being used to compromise a number of Zimbra servers uh, on the internet. We're up to 900. Uh, it's unlikely that this, uh, this issue, this vulnerability will be going down right now because of just the ultimate success that it's had so far. I'm not sure what the total worldwide deployment of internet connected Zimbra servers is, but we'll probably start achieving close to 70 to 80% of that in a matter of another month, I would say. And Chris, in yeah. your opinion, I mean, the, the patch has been out for a while. Are people not patching because they can't or because they simply don't know that this is out there? I mean, 900 servers is, and that's only the ones that are reported, right? That's yeah. nothing to sneeze at. I think I think this is really more of a case, and this is pretty pretty typical that whenever a CVE is announced and everybody starts finding out about it, everybody goes after it, and you know all, all the hacker groups come. You know they they recognize that it's a vulnerability, so they try to get to it before it does get patched. So it's partly a combination of what happened with Log4j, as you just didn't know what you had, and so it's hard to go find that. So. Um, again, going off and making sure that you're you're inventorying everything. But the other side of that is a lot of times the folks that are running the IT side don't understand what the different vulnerabilities are. So, you know, we spoke about that last week, which is that gap between IT and, and security operations is, is needs needs to come together, needs to be a lot more visibility there. But this is really just a case of, you know, just, you know, the barn doors are open and they let all the horses out. <laughs> um but uh, this is really, I mean, the guys who started this, it's uh, TMP Heretic. And this this is the, what they're really attacking, what just in the research that I've been doing on this is really more focused around travel, music, finance, and and transportation. So um, those are the industries that are getting yeah, the, those are the industries saying? that they're going after. And which which kind of makes sense because they're they're not the most well, finance a little bit different than the others, but they tend to they tend to uh, that those industries tend to much, patch much slower than other other you know kind of industries that are right or finance obviously is he heavily regulated so you have to have that that cadence of patching and making sure your systems are up to date but uh, most of the times these guys typically wouldn't be using Zimber anyways <laughs> right that makes <laughs> sense <laughs> uh, and last but not least uh, Linux world is getting hit a little hard too. Yeah, there were not one, not two, but five particular nasty vulnerabilities within the Linux Wi-Fi uh, kernel driver stack. And it was introduced, I believe, back in uh, kernel version 5.1, 5.2 timeframe. Yep. 
they've already been, I believe, fixed, but it leads to the question around why the heck kernel Wi-Fi drivers should even exist in this day and age. <laughs> right. Well, there's that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. if for no other reason, the people that love to build uh, their kernels by hand, uh, so, right. um, yeah. or at least their drivers. I was just say one one of the comments that, that I've that I read about this, you know, they're talking about, oh, the sky is falling. You know, there's Wi-Fi patches and kernel in 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 uh, Wi-Fi challenges. The thing with Linux and the Linux Foundation, what they do, they actually they are very fast about getting getting patches and getting everything updated. So it's it's really not something ter terribly to be more worried about. It's just something you need to know about. Right. There's there's a couple of other challenges with this particular vulnerability. Most of the time, Linux is deployed certainly on production servers, which follow typical patch regimens, which is great. But I would say end networking gear that's in remote offices hmm. tends not to get patched as, as quickly as some of the other locations. So the, the main issue is just consistent patching to make sure that this issue is resolved um, in a timely manner. It's going to be a problem. And that's no small problem. Like you said, remote offices often don't have anybody who even knows how to patch. So unless you have yeah. some sort of mechanism to push that patch to all those remote offices, sometimes over very slow connections still, uh, you're, you're going to struggle with this. I haven't seen kind of too much around this vis-a-vis IoT environments as well, um, mm. IoT environments. I haven't seen it very much there, but again, those are also still very hard, difficult patches to make, and and so it's just something that kind of goes back to understanding what you've got, you know, from an inventory perspective. And kind of if we had a theme today, it'd be inventory and S <laughs> right? <laughs> and 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 again, there are some to get you started if you've got nothing right now um, and no budget for it. There are some nifty free yeah. open source tools out there that will help you. Uh, do some basic inventory. Um, certainly, if you are vuln scan, running a vulnerability scanner against uh, all your endpoints, that's another good place to start. Those are our threats. Uh, Chris, I know before um, in our prep uh, for the show, you had mentioned that you found it very interesting how much things had blown up uh, about some of the topics we were only just talking about last week. Yeah, especially with Zimmer and, and you know Fortinet as well. I mean, we we kind of made fun of Fortinet a little bit and, you know, patching, you know, patching hardware, but uh, it, it, uh, it's kind of turned into something completely different now. It's, it's more of a, more of a problem that, uh, and I don't think it's something that's an active challenge for, for um, enterprises right now, but it's really something that's causing a lot of, uh, a lot of folks to call for it and say, Hey, what's, you know, am I vulnerable? And so sure. they're kind of put on the spot. So they're having to pay attention to it. Now Palo Alto has some of the same challenges and issues and you've got Aruba, you know, people are kind of waking up and saying, oh my gosh, this is, we've got some, we've got some issues here. So I think you're going to see a lot more, uh, a lot more interest and a lot more of the CVEs popping out from the, from the hardware guys, from the iron guys. So. Right. And, and it keeps seeming to happen on hardware that's more common uh, yeah. among the small and medium, the mid-market uh, enterprises than, uh, yeah. Than, than the big boys. Um, yeah, so. and I, you know, I, and I think a lot of the hacker groups as well. They're the, they're actually getting more and more sophisticated in in the, the in the the vectors that they hit, and that's that's also you know changing the way that you know the way that we have to defend. And so I think you're going to see a lot of a uh, lot of companies, a lot of uh, interest in purple teaming, you know, coming about 
um, using red team, red team attack methods with blue team. And then, you know, I think the per this is kind of the dawn of the purple team, which I think you're going to see a lot more activity from those guys as well. So again, if you can afford it, you know, engage with, with pen testers and, and, and red team or purple team or uh, blue team guys. So it's, it's so important to keep your operations teams up to speed. Absolutely. Uh, to quote uh, one of my friends in the industry, Carl Hertz, uh, recently in a presentation of his, he said, why don't we have chief inventory officers at this point? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it's getting to the point. I mean, when, when you take both hardware and software inventories into account, yeah. <clears throat> someone keeping track of all this might be a good idea. So, yeah, CIOs taken though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, and and that's that's a, that's an excellent point because if it's it's really coming down to it because especially from uh, now compliance is really you know compliance framework is really is really becoming more and more relevant and so they're really trying to figure out where does compliance live and right. does it live up you know with the CISO or does it live with you know does it live with the CSO it just depends on what the organization does but uh, you're absolutely it's right legal yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and far too many enterprises. You know, we work with several enterprises that do 75, 80 acquisitions a year, and they they manage the inventory on a spreadsheet. No. And so it, and this is, I mean, this is a company you're probably you you you're probably a customer of, and so it's just because of the fact that they it's just going so fast, and it's and they really don't know what they've got. So we've right. had to perform. I mean, one of our big one of the big things we do our security assessments just going in and figuring out, well, what do I have? And then if you're, if you're going really from a compliance perspective, you know, the, the GRC platforms, you know, like ServiceNow or, or Archer are actually starting to get into kind of more of the, how do I manage my inventory? Um, so they're branching out of the compliance side, just because people can't keep up with, you know, where their information is, where the data is, where, you know, where their flaws are. It's, it's a big, big problem. I agree. And, uh, and hopefully we can bring uh, additional tips uh, to our listeners uh, yeah. around these uh, places as, as we go along. That's, that's great insight. So with that, uh, Darren, any other items to note before we end the show? We're heading into the holiday season, honestly. Yeah. So what does that typically mean? Right? Well, it means hackers take a break during the holiday season. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. No. I mean, not, criminals, not, really. we, we, not hackers, criminals, right? <laughs> you know, a lot of people, a lot of people wonder why the heck October was typically National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And the reason why is because it's the month leading up to the major holidays. <laughs> um, and that's usually, you know, when organizations uh, tend to tend to go on autopilot, right? Most most yep. security teams tend mm -hmm. to be a little bit understaffed. Unfortunately, that presents a, a really great opportunity for attackers to kind of take advantage of it. So, will this be a, a lull season? I'm I'm not putting any money on it. We'll 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 see what it looks like in the next couple of uh, weeks. I, I'm I'm expecting more of a lull season than a lull season. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for your great insight this week. And we'll see everybody next week with The Threat Show. Pleasure. Take care. Thanks, everybody.